did me in <laughs> was it peppermint and chamomile no it's peppermint licorice you that would be fine but rookie mistake i'm like i'm zonked well you had a big day i did it was I a big did. day today it was a big day it was fun yeah i thought so you got your notes already ready to get this show on the road let's do it welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. I'm Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 86, talking about some words of radiance. Mm-hmm. Chapters 44 through 48. What will we be reading next time? On our next book club, we will be covering chapters 49 through 53. Oh, yeah. Lay our spoiler policy out there, why don't you? Our spoiler policy is this. Liz has read these books. She's read all of them multiple times. Most books, in fact. If it's got pages and ink, she's probably read it. I have not read these books, and we will remain spoiler-free for anything past episode 48 of Words of Radiance. We've read Way of Kings, which you probably know, but we haven't read anything else in the Cosmere or the Brandon Sanderson universe, except for maybe a little bit of Warbreaker. And therefore, we won't talk about things outside of Stormlight Archive. That is correct, sir. So what did you think of this section? I thought it was a good section. We got some some deepening of the plot going on, some different things going on, learning more about Shallan and her backstory and and that Kaladin's more of an idiot than I thought he was. <laughs> so it was good. Well, let's start off with chapter 44. It's called One Form of Justice. Kaladin shows up to train with Zahel in this chapter, feeling like a chawl in a dining hall. Shallan is there, not watching Adolin spar. Moash unveils his backstory and confesses to Kaladin that he is part of the most recent attack on the king. Bum, bum, bum. Son of a bitch. Did you see that coming? Well, you know I didn't, because I predicted it was Renarin. That is true. I've forgotten that. I was giving you a chance to pretend like you'd seen it coming. No. This was an interesting chapter from that perspective, because it confirms one prediction I had and refutes another prediction I had. One, I said that Moash was not behind the king's assassination, that it was Renarin, somehow being influenced by evil spren evil spren but that was not the case no it was moash but on the other hand i said that somehow it was going to be a plot on the king's life or the family's life that was going to come between moash and kaladin and create this rift between them and that there would even be a rift so so i got that part right so yeah you're spot on there so i'll take it we so, celebrate successes here on the Duke and Duchess podcast. That's right. So one of the first things that jumped out at me is Zahel, as they approach him across the sands, he's throwing colored rocks into a circle. And it's just a, it was a very Nalthian thing to do. It was. My first note, actually, in this whole section is Zahel is throwing colored rocks into the sand. I don't know what he's doing, but it ain't for nothing. 
This is definitely some weird Cosmere-related thing. Well, it reminds me of a scene in Warbreaker where another character is throwing colored rocks in different urns, and there are... There were wasn't there a game that they all played where they threw had to throw colored balls there was out a, into yeah. a field yeah there was. it just it just was reminiscent of that work it is I thought that was cool I hadn't it's, caught that before ah okay so next we have Kaladin as we said getting trained by Zahel right and they're being trained to be able to face somebody wearing or using a shard blade yes. so that they'll be familiar with the concepts of how to fight them, familiar with the forms to know what they might be able to expect. And Zahel brings out a shard blade with a guard on the blade, and Kaladin says, no. <laughs> no guard. Give it to me raw. <laughs> I need to be afraid. That's just to show you how badass he is, Chad. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's just the beginning of his idiocy in these chapters. <laughs> just just a little taste. So what do we think of Shallan in this chapter? She's the best character in this chapter. I- I'm telling you, she's a manipulative gold digger, and I am here for it. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> You know, we, we she shows up and Adolin's like, oh, gosh, these chicks, they're always coming to ogle me while I spar. I mean, bitches. I'd let her stay, but, you know, can't keep them off bad me. Precedent. That's right. You know, and then she just breezes right by him. Oh, I didn't even notice you were here, you know, and uh, and he falls for it. And, you know, it's deliberate because, you know, in a previous chapter, she was planning ways that she could be around him but not seem to but you also know that she genuinely likes him yeah but it's just so fun to see this player get played yeah it was it was enjoyable because adolin is such a douche especially leading up to this because he's like oh you know how it is kaladin right you know you know. You know how it is. All these people here can't keep these women from just crawling over the fence. <laughs> I'm bigger than Jesus. Like And then he finds out that Shalon has worn Kaladin's boots. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, How did that happen? She doesn't tell him. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's kind of a schmuck. Uh, my my favorite part of the whole Shalon interaction actually has nothing to do with Shalon. It's Teft who says, hey, uh, you think we should worry about her? A random outsider shows up, betrothed to the prince. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin's like, nah, man, this is the chapter where I show my stupidity. <laughs> Why would you think that? So what else? Tell me, what else did you feel like he did in this chapter that was stupid? Well, that is, I mean, that's really it in this chapter. But this is this is the chapter which sets up the next Kaladin chapter where we have the whole conflict with Moash and whoever it is that he's affiliating himself with who want to assassinate the king, which is where I think his real stupidity shines through. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Right. In this chapter, we just have the confirmation that Moash was part of the recent attempt and that really all he did was throw a rope down 
so mm-hmm. that whoever the shard bearer is could climb up and sabotage the railing. But we also find out that he, the king, had his family executed. So we get a little of this backstory bet- behind Moash's. Well, he didn't have them executed. He had his very elderly grandparents thrown into prison in order to kind of hush them up, and they died in prison. So we we find out what his grudge is against is against the king. Why did it take us? 1600 words for Moash to tell us that. It was a poignant story. Because it was plot convenient. We had to know every detail of Moash's pain so that then Kaladin could have some pain. Hey, Kaladin doesn't get to do all the brooding here, okay? (laughs) So something I thought was interesting in this chapter were a couple of things that Syl says. First, she thanks Kaladin after he does chooses not to touch the shard blade. We know that she's had a problem with shard blades. She has mentioned that they're abominations. She's not pro shard blade. She is definitely for shard blade regulations. Heavily. She is thinks assault shard blades should be taken off the streets. She is very, very much against the NSA. The National Shard Blade Association. Those evil pigs. Yeah, she mm-hmm. is not for them. But, as, and then after Kaladin won't even touch one, she thanks him. She also feels a disturbance in the Sil Force <laughs> at some point. Right after he's done talking to Moash, she zips over and says, what did you just do? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So we don't know if maybe she senses pattern. We know that Honor, Spren, and Cryptics have this kind of ages old. That never would have crossed my mind. I thought it it was much more likely that he did not, you know, he promised Moash that he would not just flat out turn him in. And that likely could be it as well. The The other thing we have here, which is really the most important thing that happens in this chapter, is that Kaladin asks Zahel... How do I catch a shard blade like Dalinar did? <laughs> that was cool. And Zahel's like, no, no, that's that's stupid. <laughs> Don't that's, ever do that. <laughs> that's just fucking di- no. It's ridiculous. I-, I like that. You know, Dalinar pulls off this kind of over the top ninja move, and then a few chapters later, it's kind of like acknowledged that that's an over the top ninja move. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not like oh, just anybody could. This is like a normal battle maneuver that anyone can do, you know. And he, he's like, no, most people. And a little bit of explanation. He says that um, because most people don't swing shard blades as hard as a regular sword is the only reason that you could do it. But he calls it the last clap. But la- most people don't manage to. Yeah, it's called the last clap because in most cases it's the, the last, last clap, clap you'll, you'll ever, ever have. <laughs> right. So that was a fun part. Probably my favorite chapter of this section that we read is this next one, though. Chapter 45, which is called Middlefest. No, it's called That's a Purdy Chicken. It is not called that, Chad. I'm sorry, it wasn't my book. So in this flashback chapter, Shalon is at the Middlefest Fair with her father. A distressing conversation happens between her father and Bright Lord Revelar, and Shallan is able to slip into the fair unattended. She spends the day helping her brothers find the sunshine, with varying degrees of success. She also has a strange conversation with a messenger who has news of her brother, Hilarion. 
So first off, yeah, the chicken. I bring you tales of chickens from across the universe. How funny is that? The chicken was great. She was like, this chicken only had a tiny little shell right above its nose and mouth. And then you realize that she's describing a parrot. Yeah, or a parakeet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The man says, oh, you're admiring my chicken. Oh, I've had chicken before. That's an eating chicken. So all birds, this is where we find <laughs> that all birds on Roshar are chickens. Yeah. Which is hilarious and ties in to something else I want, we're going to point out at the end of this chapter. Really? Okay. All right. So she thinks the parrot is a void bringer. And uh, she says, when the parrot says something, she says to the vendor, you'll bring the eyes of the unmade down on us. Yes. So we've heard the unmade mentioned a couple of times. I double highlighted it in my Kindle. Oof. Double highlight. Double highlight. We also meet Melise, who is Shallan's new stepmother. We just really get a sense of... She drew the short straw. Yes, she did. You know, um, Shallan's father, their family, pre the Ghost Bloods, was in really bad shape. Um, I, the, their finances are in a shambles, and uh, her father is being uh, pretty much blackmailed into a terrible business deal by this other Bright Lord. So something else that's interesting, when Shallan slips out into the fair after that, that conversation that her father says, or the other Bright Lord says, you child needs to get out of here, um, she mentions that freedom for her is as rare as a Larkin. Do you remember where a Larkin was mentioned before? Um, all I can say is it's like a Lincoln Park member, but one who's sober. Like a unicorn? No, I don't remember. I don't remember. I wasn't sure if you'd done a a word search or something. No, I didn't. Not for Larkin. That's okay, because I'll tell you. So the interlude with Ryson, the traitor, Mm -hmm. the creature that she receives from the island at the end. Oh, yeah. uh, With the the shiny eyes. Mm -hmm. That was a Larkin. The, The creature was who was supposed to have died out with the Amians, like mm-hmm. Axie's the Collector. And uh, this, you know, a corpse of one of these creatures is priceless, you know, and we know that she has a live one. But anyway, just this is thrown in there, rare as a Larkin. So Shalon goes on these missions of mercy, and she's trying to help her family have any semblance of normalcy or happiness. Her oldest, second oldest brother, Balat, gets pussy. <laughs> Wickham gets the next brother, gets a book of math problems. I don't know. I just thought that was a little bit. You, I, mean, I mean, why doesn't she like Wickham that much? I'm just I, saying. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's what everybody needs at that time. I guess. And Balot just needed a handy under the bleachers. I mean, <laughs> so what he needed at the time. Listen, you don't know that she's going to go all the way. It's her choice. <laughs> There were two other notes I have here. We have the, uh, who, who I'm calling the powder sipper. The guy who has the drink. The messenger. The messenger, yeah. Yes. And he goes to, he slips this powder. Shallan panics and thinks it's poison, but he slips it into his own drink. And I have no idea who this guy is. We need to learn more about him next chapter. Next Shallan chapter. But... I do know that that's when we get those weird descriptions, 
that means that somebody from some other Cosmere planet. So that's a character in some other Cosmere book. Well, it's interesting because Shallan's stepmother says about him, you know, he's light-eyed, but apparently he's so low status that he can't even produce a writ of lineage at all. Conveniently. And then, so Shallan meets up with him at the end of this chapter as well. And the first thing... Oh, it is the end of this chapter. It's the end of this chapter, Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the first thing he says to her, which is uh, kind of ties back to the all birds being chicken thing. Mm -hmm. He says, axe hound. And he says, I always wondered if any of you find the term odd. You know what an axe is, but what is a hound? And she's like, what does it matter? It's just a word. And he's, you know, then he goes on and on about words matter, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But that's just an interesting thing. These, these very like earth sounding kind of words, you'd think maybe were thrown in there as just, just anachronistically, but now it's being called out that. Well, it also sort of stands to reason that if all these random people are world zipping around, that some of the language would get carried around with it. Mm-hmm. These little germs of language from other planets. So they may not understand what it means, but right. but it wouldn't be shocking for those little things to pop up. Right. The other thing, there's two other things about this little section here. The first being that this is where Shalon gets her two men set together at the end of the earth type random line that she throws out. I think it was either the last section or the section before. I don't remember when. Yes. So that's the first thing. And we get the whole story about two blind men. I like stories within a story. Mm -hmm. So I always pay a little more attention. But two blind men contemplating the nature of beauty. And do you have to have eyes or do you have to have senses even to see what beauty is. And so they go down that very, very long parable. And then the messenger asks Shalon, what's beautiful to you? And then she sort of recites or has this sort of fantasy where her mother never dies and the family's back together. But it comes down to, and I, I, I took this quote out of the book. She says, the people my mother knew, Drader, Mm-hmm never came to our home. That's what she wishes. Mm-hmm. So again, we don't know who these people are. It's more mystery piled upon more mystery with Shalon and her mother and her soul in a box. And uh, now we have random outsiders showing up. Yes. And it's interesting when the messenger asks about whether Spren have ever talked to her, um, she thinks about lights going out with life drained from them, twisted symbols that the eye should not be able to see, and her mother's soul in a box. And then in a, in a later chapter, Pattern, some, Pattern says something that makes us realize that, oh, Shalon, this is not the first time Shalon has uh, used surge binding before, but she's just shut off those memories So, and then here we see her actually using her light weaving powers with this man encouraging her. Yeah, she does have like a little, like her fantasy kind of goes to a place where she starts to evoke 
you know, images around her, but then it all kind of pops out like a, like a yeah, big bubble. Yeah, she says that as she's describing it, she can actually see it, and that when she looks at the man, he's holding spheres out to her, and light is coming out of her. Yeah. However, when he tries to encourage her or kind of push her to acknowledge what she's done, she just shuts him out. And he says, I see. You don't understand yet the nature of lies. I had that trouble myself long ago. The shards here are very strict, whatever that means. At that point, he kind of books it. Another thing he says about his own past that I think is interesting is he says, I'm terribly ineffective at hurting people. I blame my upbringing. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Put a pin in it. So he's either a shin, which he's not described as being from Shin, or is from some other planet, because everybody else around this Rosharan continent are hurtful bastards. So the shards here are very strict. So does that mean that all these different sort of Cosmere powers, all the different magic systems from all the different planets, light and metal and color and breath, are all those things that allow that to happen are somehow connected to shards. You guys can't tell. I just did my excited face, though. So shards are not a Rosharan shard. Roshar led me to... I thought, thought there was some sort of connection there, and maybe there is, but now I'm thinking that shards exist across all the Cosmere. Yeah. You're right. All right. Sweet. You're so smart. Eh, you know, I mean, there's there's really a, smart. The books are here, so. <laughs> they help. They help. So I want to talk about the story, too, for a minute that he tells to Shalon. And, and he tells a story with a question at its core. Can beauty be taken from a man? And so he says, you know, there's these two blind men they're contemplating this question, can beauty be taken from a man? And the first blind man chooses to find beauty in any circumstance. And the second blind man has this all or nothing view of beauty. You know, because he's blind, he refuses to appreciate the forms of beauty that are available to him. And he keeps saying, the first one keeps saying, well, you could appreciate this kind of beauty or that. And he keeps saying, well, what if you couldn't? And so it's it's two different views. And in the end, the messenger asks Shalon, what do you think? He said, suppose a man, all the only experience that he has is pain. Could beauty still exist for him? And she says, well, I guess on days when the pain is less, that would be beauty to him. And I just think that's so poignant because Shalon is this character who at her core is someone who chooses to see beauty despite her horrific circumstances over and over again. And in this chapter, she's encouraged to do that. And the messenger tells her, keep hacking away at the thorns. You know, it's not for nothing. And that's just one of the things that I love about this character, despite her flaws. She does keep striving through any circumstance to remain positive and to see the good in things. That's true. The chapter 46 is called Patriots. Kaladin is touring his bridge cruise. He knows that the countdown is steadily progressing towards something. He gives Shen a spear, finally, and he also finally goes out for drinks and bonding with the guys. After a few stories over ale, Kaladin and Moash commit some light treason. 
and Kaladin meets Graves and his band of conspirators. He tells Moash not to have anything to do with them ever. We'll see how that works out. So uh, this chapter opens with like Kaladin being all good at leadership and stuff. Yeah. So what do you think of Kaladin at this point as a military leader? Because last book, your opinion of him was not very good as a when he was starting to lead the bridge crews. Was that my opinion? Yeah. Hmm. So would you say your opinion has improved at this point? No, certainly. I think that's certainly the case. Yeah. I mean, I think he's really doing about as well as I would expect any reasonable person to do in his set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. The issues I have with Kaladin are now anyway, are less about his leadership and the way he deals with his men and more about, more about his, this, his eternal funk and not, sort of him not being able to put his finger on and identify with what his sort of major shortcoming is right now is this constant resentment and anger that he carries around and this, uh, this constant prejudice that he has against light eyes of any kind. And he doesn't recognize the sort of damage that it's doing to his soul. And then what he does in this chapter it's. I, I want to be careful not to be overly critical of him because he's put into a really shitty situation. And on the basis of what he does in this particular chapter, I can't really fault him much. So I kind of have to hold my opinion mm-hmm. and see what he does with this information now right. that he has it. Right. So two really light points in this chapter... A, Lopin's cousins. Oh, yeah. And just that every time Kaladin comes back to the camp, Lopin has a few more cousins. and uh, They're like the minions. They are. And they and they always just rage the, raise their bowls and go, bridge four. Bridge four. <laughs> That's funny. And Shen. I mean, the scene with Shen was pretty great. For me, it goes a long way towards making Kaladin less insufferable. You know, especially the hypocrisy that he was previously showing with Shen with being all angry at Dalinar for not blindly believing him about Amaram and then turning around and not trusting Shen with a spear. And he makes up for it here and he he tells him, you know, Bridge Four doesn't have slaves and I'm sorry that I was afraid to do this before. But then Shen tries to tell him something and he's like distracted for a second He's like, I'll tell you later. And it's like, dude. Dude. Yeah. This guy, like, never says anything ever. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's, like, got something to say. You don't think maybe it's important? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I caught that as well. The other thing that was interesting to me in this chapter was the Horn Eater's origin story. Yes. That was pretty cool. And then we also find out that Rock was hanging out with Hoyd slash Wit. I'm glad you caught that. That's who that was. Uh, Of course. Of course. So a couple of interesting things. So Rock is telling them a story about how he met Lunuanaki, who is the god of travel and mischief. 
And he describes him as having an angular face and white hair. So we're like, oh, it's Hoyd. And Sigzel also gets very upset when he hears this. Yeah. Because that's his old master, we know. And that Lunuanaki came up out of the water and, and asked what year it was. Yeah. And he also said, Lunuanaki cannot hurt men. It is forbidden by the other gods. The other gods? Well, I mean, it's, it's clear from this right. that, that Rock and the Horn Eaters see him as some sort of god. Right. And, and we know he's some sort of world traveler. Right. Or inter-world traveler, Cosmere alien. And he's forbidden to hurt people. According to this legend. The other note that I have is actually about sort of what's going on in Kaladin's head prior to his running off with Moash, because I, I think it's important for two things. So Kaladin goes to this thing where he's contemplating assassinating Sadius. He's like, I have these powers now, just like that assassin. Shouldn't I be able to get my revenge on Sadius? Shouldn't I be able to go out and assassinate Sadius? He's clearly an evil person. Wouldn't that be the right thing to do? But he gets this feeling that somehow it's just not the right thing to do. And I think that feeling is the same sort of thing or whatever it is, other than just straight up morality that says you don't go assassinate a person, is sort of the same thing that caused Dalinar to get sick when he was out there skull kicking Parshendi. And the same thing that led to Kaladin not having his superpowers one time when he needed to use them. So I think that whole thing is interesting for two reasons. One, because it sets up an interesting sort of thematic and moral discussion going into the conversation we're about to have with Graves. Two, because it's interesting that Seth does not seem to have that. Yeah. Whatever it is that stops them from being able to assert their powers or causes them to get sick or or not be able to function properly when they're not truly protecting themselves or defending themselves, Seth doesn't have that. He can use his powers purely malicious ways and does not seem to have it. Well, Syl tells Kaladin that no Spren is guiding Seth. So we know there's a difference there. So what did you think of the Patriots? What did you think of their whole spiel? That Alethkar would be better off without Elokar and that they were doing the right thing. So the Patriots have always had this, it doesn't really matter how we go about things, as long as we accomplish the end goal... (laughs) We were justified. We can deflate the balls. We can steal people's (laughs) signs. And that's why, you know, they're champions. You can't deny it, but everybody hates them. (laughs) I don't like it. It's true. I don't like it. I was reading something the other day, and it said that Wendy Williams had Graves' disease. But for whatever reason, when I read it, I read it that Wendy Williams had gravy disease. And, and I was like, gravy disease? Is that what's been wrong with me this whole time? 
I think I have gravy disease. <laughs> One interesting thing about Graves that's mentioned here is that he we find out that he married a dark-eyed woman and that one of his sons is a one-eye. Oh, one-eye. So we've we met got, a one-eye. We got Shalon's mom who keeps her soul in a box and we have gra- gra- Gravy Son One-Eye. What kind of book are you having me read? <laughs> well, it just make, made me wonder. We've met a one-eye before. And that was the bastard son of the guy who Shalon's high prince yeah, back yeah. in Yaakovet. Mm-hmm. Now, it would be a pretty big coincidence if it was the same guy, but well, I think it's it would be impossible for it to be the same guy because this person that this person graves is like twenty four years old. It says in the book that he's only. a couple years older than Adolin. So if Shalon was, if it was six, seven oh, years yeah, you're ago. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That would have been too long ago. If it was six, seven years ago, then, you know, then that person showing up at uh, Yaakov Ed would have been six. And even that would have been yeah, touchy. So, so not the same person. Unless this is somebody who, you know, again, is some sort of creepy alien and doesn't age or something weird like that. But assuming that's not the case, a couple of things about this interaction that are interesting. First, strange to me that Moash would trust another Light Eyes. That's true. Um, and, and he strongly encourages Kaladin to trust him too and says, uh, did you notice that he treats us all the same no matter what and that he married a dark-eyed woman? But... You could say the same thing, except for the marrying. You could say the same thing about Dalinar. You know, also, he's only known this guy for a a handful of months. You could have said the same thing about Amaram up until he decided to murder all of Kaladin's friends. It's true, and it just goes to show that uh, with the ends being something that you want strongly enough, you're willing to justify anything. Or Moash is, anyway. And Moash really wants revenge on Elokar. He does. So we go through this whole thing. They go through their justification. The world would be better. And as this guy is talking, and he's saying, particularly when he says the line, I hear you used to be a surgeon. If the hand is infected... Don't you cut the hand away to save the body? And then he says, it would really, it would be better for Elicar anyway. Mm. And and as soon as he said that line, I thought, well, that's just Sadius. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the same internal dialogue mm-hmm. that we've heard from Sadius. Yes. Is that same, you, you know... Dalinar, you don't want to be in this shitty position. It's really a kindness for me to kill you in battle. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but think that this is some sort of trap. I can't help but think it's some sort of trap. We shall see. These people allow Kaladin to walk away. 
I feel like if they were really out there with the intent of assassinating the king, they would never tell it to the head of his guard. Mm -hmm. And if they did, they sure as shit would not allow him to walk away. So that's where I start saying, if Kaladin, he walks away, he tells Moash, forget about it. If he thinks, one, that Moash is going to forget about it, he doesn't, he clearly has not been reading any fantasy novels. (laughs) Because that's just not how it works. (laughs) Two, if he thinks he can just brush this under the rug and it'll just go away, he's a bigger fool than I thought. There's no way in hell that this just goes away and isn't going to come back to bite him in the ass. Yep. No way in hell. Best thing he can do is march his ass immediately to Dalinar. Right. So chapter 47 is called Feminine Wiles. Shallan prepares to use her feminine wiles on Adolin, or at least figure out if she has any feminine wiles. What she does have is a whole bunch of stormlight and time to practice her lightweaver powers. She's getting pretty good at creating illusions, but no closer to finding Eurythiru or saving the world. Eurythiru. Did I do it? No, you did it perfectly right. I'm just saying it over and over and over again, so maybe I can cancel out the bad mojo <laughs> of all the times we've said Eurythiru. 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 Thank you, Jen Nagel. <laughs> so... We start off with Shallan looking at all of these maps of Roshar, Roshar through the ages, and none of them have this city in the same place. And I was so proud of myself at this point. Yeah? I was so proud. I'm reading through this, and I'm like, aha, I've got it. There's some sort of magical gate system and then like two paragraphs later, it's like, well, there's these oath gates. I was like, son of a Bitch, like I don't get to get, get any credit for it. You, <laughs> you know what, Chad? You get credit. We all believe you that you figured <laughs> that out two paragraphs before it was revealed. Uh, they're like full the, marks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> they're like the uh, the quote ways unquote in Wheel of Time. Yes, yes, the oath or, gates. Yeah, or any other one of many other types of magical portal systems, you know. Right. Which makes sense. And that's such a cool reveal, these hints that we've been having about Eurythiru up until this point. And now it all kind of makes sense. That was satisfying. Yeah. To know, ah, this is why, this is why Nohadan could walk there. This is why all these things that don't seem to make sense and why nobody can trace where it is. This is why. So Pattern's curiosity about gender and anatomy in general is pretty hilarious, uh, particularly paired with Shallan's modesty and shyness. Why won't you just show me? (laughs) And then we get to see her practice her light weaving skills. And it's interesting because Shallan finds that she has to draw something before she can create an illusion and that it's not supposed to work that way, but because it matters to her that 
is the way that her power is working. And it's yeah. kind of a clever way to limit her powers. True. You know, Shallan went really quickly from being like this completely vulnerable mm-hmm. teenage girl to all of a sudden, like being able to take anyone else's, fa- I mean, she's basically a faceless man, Oh yeah. you know, and, uh, and could also now create images outside of herself. Like, She's an illusionist. Right, exactly. Yeah. And she can soul cast. So she went to being kind of super powered. Yeah. So it's it's kind of nice that she's got a bit of a block. She's Harold in the purple crayon. Her limitation is that she's got a purple crayon. And right. really, there's only so much you can do with a purple crayon. Right. Yeah. That was my nickname in college. Purple crayon? No, it wasn't. I'm trying to create <laughs> I'm an so- illusion I'm here. Sorry. I'm trying... <laughs> I'm sensitive about nicknames, okay? <laughs> Claim a nickname you didn't have. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. So one thing that I thought was really cool here is as she's drawing, she says, beauty is out there all around. To create art is not to capture it, but to participate in it. And I just, that's so beautifully harkens back to chapter 45 in the whole can beauty be taken from a man question and Shalon's decision to keep looking for and participating in beauty and hacking away at those thorns it's just really kind of subtly put out there in this part and I liked it yeah it's pretty cool the the other thing that I I spent a lot of this chapter thinking was how is she going to use this I can create like a perfect replica of somebody, but it's entirely static. Right. Like, how is she going to use that in some way? You know, I don't know. She's either going to find some way. I mean, it's not for nothing. She's going to find some way to do it, or she's going to become Walt Disney and she's going to learn how to animate. She's going to have to get her little flip flip book. book. She's going to get a flip book. (laughs) That's cool. It was going to be stop motion, herky jerky. <laughs> I did go down a very long rabbit hole that went absolutely nowhere. Would you care to hear about it? Yes. So she makes this lifeless but highly accurate recreation of Sabariel. Mm-hmm that she says is incredibly lifelike, except for the fact that it doesn't move. And that sort of like dull, lifeless, not living, but clearly human look reminded me of Yasna laying on the floor of the ship, Mm -hmm. clearly dead, not Mm -hmm. there. And I thought, oh no, Yasna projected an image of herself and that's what the people in the boat stabbed and then i spent a lot of time going back and rereading to try to justify that mm-hmm. but we never find out what yasna's second skill is other than soul casting but she specifically mentions that it's different. Yeah. Also, when Shalon's image is touched, it fuzzes. Yeah. Like it distorts. So it's not something that would 
you could stab and think, oh, I just stabbed a person. Unless it was a, yeah, true, yeah, yeah. Unless you're a real dumbass. <sighs> so, but I like that rabbit hole. I went. That's an awesome one. Deep down that rabbit hole and never found out what Yasna's second skill is. So chapter 48 is called No More Weakness. Stuff gets downright chilling in the Davar household. Jushu, the second youngest brother, gets taken away by debt collectors despite being threatened by their by her father, Shalan enacts a daring rescue and manages to convince Jushu's captors to release him. When Shalan's father finds out, he is furious, beating her maid almost to death. He tells her that he will have to start punishing others when she disobeys. And now that I just read that, I'm actually not 100% sure that Jushu is the second to youngest. He, I'm not... It's one of the twins. I think, yeah. I'm not sure. Um... But either way, we definitely see Shalon has middle child syndrome. She's hypersensitive to conflict. And like any time that any of her brothers start arguing at all, she jumps right in and deflects. Any kind mm-hmm. of tension, she just jumps right in and deflects it with humor. Um, but we also see that some of her plans to lighten her brother's moods are starting to work she says you know balat has been changed by being in love um wickham actually weirdly and creepily gives her a bag of poison blackbane leaf that he's been planning to eat and he's like well i don't want to kill myself anymore so here you go 14 year old sister rather than just like toss it somewhere perhaps you can find some use for this that particular phrase led me going back down the same rabbit hole (laughs) with yasna Mm -hmm. because i was like "Ooh, it's like it's like the poison that that juliet took right in in romeo and juliet Mm -hmm. you know and i was like oh it would they're just exposing us to this so that when Yasna, because Yasna's coming back, we all know it. When Yasna comes back, she's going to be like, oh, I just medicated myself with this stuff that made my heart slow down to like four beats a minute and made me appear like I wasn't breathing. And except again, she got stabbed. Yeah. And, and why would she do that? They're, it's not like they took her pulse. They to make sure she was dead. They just stuck a knife through her heart instead yeah it would have been a i mean i guess if but i like the way you're thinking i guess if there's no other choice it's your last you know you're 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 rolling for yahtzee on your last turn Mm -hmm. because i'm desperately trying to find a way that yasna's alive i just know that she's alive somehow but i don't know how Mm -hmm. and i'm desperately looking for a way to figure out why that was not her that got stabbed. Cannot give anything away. It's a meat puppet. I know it's a meat puppet. So we see again here, Shalon being able to assess other people and use that to manipulate them. So just like she did with Marais, she is able to find the thing to say to Jushu's captors that are going to convince them to be lenient on him and what she says to them is this you know this is a gamble uh she's trying to to give them these daggers which are worth about half of what jushu 
owes them. And uh, they say, well, well, we might be able to make more with him this other way. And she says, well, that's a gamble. And you don't strike me as the kind of man who gambles. And uh, it's just a very clever thing for her to say. And she's done it by, you know, being a child in an abusive household where she has learned to read people. Yeah. And it's a pretty insightful read for a 14-year-old who's you know never met this person before. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, that her father's room is still glowing to her. And um, and then, of course, her father's reaction when he finds out what she did. And at this point, you can see, like, this, it's getting ready to go on a downward spiral. He makes this incredibly asinine statement of, I've finally learned how to control my anger. And I control my anger... By having explosive outbursts of anger. He's gone full Ike Turner. Yeah, like, right? I mean, like, he's nuts. Like, it's not my fault. People don't obey me. I just control my anger by violently having angry outbursts. Like, and, you know, you think maybe you have a little bit of, not sympathy for him, but but warm feelings toward him because he... he does seem to still have a protective instinct for around surrounding Shalon, or he's not willing to harm her. However, what you realize in this chapter is that he doesn't harm her because he's afraid of her, because he knows she has a shard blade. He always looks towards mother's soul. You know, he picks her up, mm-hmm. he's shaking her, and then um, he looks towards mother's soul, and then he puts her down. Yeah. So you're like, uh, is it really that he doesn't want to harm his daughter or is that he is afraid she's going to stab him, you know? Yeah. All the reports are that Himmler from the Nazis was a very doting father. He's still a sick, evil son of a bitch. Yeah. No, I don't I don't have any warmth towards Shalon's father at all. None whatsoever. Well, that's it. That's what we read this week. That is. Are you ready to hear some interactions from our listeners? Yeah. So on our Facebook page, we have our question out there. What sort of questions do you have for us this week? And we begin with Daryl Mansell. Daryl says, which should Kaladin place first? His duties to protect the royal family or his desires to learn more about his powers? I mean, definitely his duty to protect... Dalinar and his family, you know, that's Kaladin's core crisis has always been, can you kill to protect? Like, what is my purpose? And it's always been all about protecting people. So if he goes against that, and if he contributes to someone that he is supposed to protect being harmed, that's going to irrevocably just crush him. What do you think? Well, that, that my first instinct is to say protecting Elicar and Dalinar as well. Because I think in this universe, you put doing the right thing first, and all other things will come from it. However, I do think there's a counter-argument to say learning about his powers. Which, by the way, I don't think that means that he has anything to do with Moash or any of that business. But... Theoretically, we're a month from the frickin' end of the world. Mm -hmm. And the more he knows how to use those powers, the more likely he is to be able to help and save lots of people, not just the Colleen family. 
So I think you could make an argument for it, but I have to agree with you. I think like he's much more likely to find more of the words mm-hmm. and actually get further along by sticking to his oath. Particularly since that's in the title of the next book. Yeah. All right. Ian James Crone says, love triangles. Ugh. Overdone like steak in Maine or just done enough like steak in Texas? Why Maine? Why do, do people in Maine overcook their steak and I don't know about it? I've been to New Hampshire. How was their steak? I didn't eat steak. I saw a wicked Bela Fleck concert, though. I think Florida's where they overdo their steak. I'll, I, I'll go with that. At least in the panhandle. That was a long way to go, Duchess. <laughs> it's late. I, I'm not a fan of the love triangle. It's got to be very well written for me. Uh, Luis Mira says, Who do you think has the most punchable face in all of Roshar, and why is it Elicar? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Elicar or Adolin for you at this point? Who would you rather punch? Oh, Elicar. Definitely. I mean, Adolin's a douche, but he's not without some redeeming qualities. Right. I, the problem I have with Elicar is I think that Elicar is just, besides being spoiled and having all the same problems that, that Adolin has... I think he's also haunted because he's seeing Spren and he doesn't know what to do. Right. And he hasn't reached that point that all the other characters have. Right. So I want to have a certain degree of, what's the word I'm looking for? Except sympathy. Sympathy for him. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Sam Denberg says, can beauty be taken from a man? I'm with Shalon, personally. I say no. Yeah, I mean, I, what I... One of the messages that I really like about this book is the power of choosing a positive attitude. And I think if you do that, then uh, you're, you're going to find it. Uh, so Sam also says, a spren who's obsessed with biology plus a wedding night. How is that going to work? Yeah, Shalon t- thought that uh, taking a bath in front of pattern was difficult. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what, what's in her future. <laughs> Although, do you think Adolin does it in Shardplate? <laughs> I don't know. Guess it, I, I, You know what? I think Adolin is probably a very considerate lover. I think if the chick he's with is into it, sure, why not? <laughs> the Duke just squinted at me in consternation. Now he's shaking his head. the same guy who's like all the bitches come to watch me sword fight (laughs) of course we'll have to send them away (laughs) he's a very generous lover okay all right you just have to keep reading okay Uh, susan says what do you think about the lopin's cousins that keep showing up do you think it's relevant or not that's one you have to answer um well i i would say no i think it's comic relief it's not that i don't think they won't have some bearing but i don't think it's going to be monumental Mm -hmm. that would be my take she also says why do you think that uh sigzol was so upset by moash's description of the uh lunu anaki and i think we 
sort of hinted on this, that he picked up on the fact that that is Hoyd, right. who is his master, or the description's the same. And Right. Sigzel's a, a bright dude, so I'm sure he picks up on the similarities. I don't know why it would make him upset as much as probably thinking if his master is a god, why doesn't he come and rescue him from the situation? And or he's just sort of putting it all together and mind equals blown. Right. That would be my take. Susan says, light streamed across the carriage and into her. I'm quite good at that, Shalon said sourly, considering how short a time I've been doing it. Short time pattern, says. But we first, and she stopped listening until he was done. I think that this proves my theory that pattern was the spren Shalon had as a child. Do you agree? Again, I can't answer that. That's for you. I mean, I yeah, I think she's I think she's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Ian Trezee says, curious about the Duke's thoughts on Middlefest. Chapter 45, good backstory, character building with Shalon and family flashback. But how about the end with, she drew back, the misty light faded. I see, the messenger said softly. You do not understand the nature of lies. I had that trouble myself long ago. The shards here are very strict, but you have to see the truth, child, before you can expand upon it, just as a man should know the law before he breaks it. So I think we talked about this to yeah. some degree, at least as much yeah, as I feel like a little bit. I can. You know, this is a this is a dude from one of the other worlds. The shards are somehow something universal across the Cosmere. Uh, it's interesting that this guy seems to know an awful lot about Spren and human bonding specifically, but but that's about as much I think as I can I can get into. Ian also says rock tells of the horn eaters in the water of life, the water of life. <laughs> I will take the water of life. <laughs> he thinks he's the Lunu Anunnaki. He who can see where we dare not look. Anyway, <laughs> Rock said, uh, Lunu Anunnaki is a god of travel and mischief. Very powerful god. He came from the depths of peak ocean from the realm of the gods. Adding to the mystery, uh, we get more about worlds and realm building through different cultures and their new unique landscapes and own legends. What do you think, Duchess, calls you out specifically? Yeah, I like the the story that Rock tells, and I like the idea that nobody knows what the Horn Eater Pikes peaks are really like, that they're actually uh, warm because the tops of the mountains are full of hot springs. Um, yeah, I... I, I like that little pocket of world building that's thrown in there. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. And I like Sigzel just being like, it's just a hot spring, whatever. <laughs> it's not a big deal, guys. <laughs> uh. Ian also asks, have you ever been at a party having a good time? And then at the end, Iceberg Slim Lynn shows up. That's <laughs> such a bummer. Yes. yes i have i've been in that and many many other situations where the party ended poorly i will not expand (laughs) susan says uh when shalon is at the fair and sees the black-haired man pour powder in his drink it made me think of mistborn makes sense that That makes sense yeah nice catch susan 
which is all your fault since you talked me into reading Era 2. I know the Duchess can't tell me if it's related, but what do you think? Well, I do now. <laughs> we had a couple listeners on there comment back to Susan as well. Um saying that, that they think she nailed it as well. So we won't go into that in our in keeping with our our policy of not spoiling other books and the Duke also has not read Miss Morn, but he knows the premise of it. I, I know the premise of the magic system right. anyway. Yeah. Right. Brian McClure says, what is your craziest D and D story? Man. I mean, have we told the story of the D and D game that you and I played? Yes, a couple. We've times. told that a couple yeah, of times. A couple of times. That's my funniest D and D story. I have some crazy D and D stories. Yeah. I I won't go into detail because just for sake of time, but I will say that I had one that started off with an attack in and in with a group of uh, trained bugbears wearing jester's uniforms and ended in an insane asylum uh, killing a seven-foot vampire or fighting a seven-foot vampire who, uh, during a lightning storm, when you could only ever see him when the lightning flashed. I mean, if we're talking crazy as in contributing to my mental illness D D, it would have to be playing with our kids and trying <laughs> to get them to stop stabbing each other with the figurines little swords at just long enough to get through a fight sequence one fight sequence guys whose turn is it who's closest come on he stabbed me i stabbed my sister's character are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. All right, roll for initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Brian says, uh, who's your favorite character in Warbreaker? My favorite character in Warbreaker? Yeah. Nightblood, obviously. Mm. Blush Weaver. You like... <laughs> uh, Brian McClure also says, best quotes from this section. Uh, I like something Teft says. I, I'm trying to remember it exactly, but he says something along the lines of, uh, "I'm not grouchy. I just have a low threshold for stupidity." Yeah, actually, that was that would be mine as well. He asks any thoughts on the messenger. I feel like we've gone we, through that. Yeah, yeah. And also on his next question, uh, where do you think your Euryth- is? Oh, I almost you did almost it. did it. Sorry, guys, your I think we kind of talked about that, too. I think Eurothero is in our hearts. Aww. It's in our minds. It's wherever we are when we're thinking about our brothers and our sisters. Also, uh, how fucked up is Shalon's family? Pretty fucked up. Yeah. They are a shitbag family. They are. Yeah. Man. Brian McClure's last question is, what did you think of the story of the two blind men? Do you think that was something the messenger made up at the time, or do you think it's a story he may have actually witnessed? I'm going to say not a story that he actually witnessed or a story that he made up. I'm going to say it's a well-known story, but a well-known story from a different place. All right. 
not from Roshar. All right, so lay some predictions on us, All yo. All right, time for predictions. All right, I've only got a couple. All right, the first is whatever Yasna's second surge is, is what she used to escape that boat without dying. I don't know if she... I don't know if she soul cast herself a a meat puppet dummy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she astral projected into another, her soul into another creature. I don't know what she did, but the fact that we never found out what that second surge is mm-hmm. tells me that it that is how she escaped. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Two... The Graves and the group of assassins, the Patriots, some sort of trap. Mm-hmm. I'm almost sort of thinking that it's, that Yasna's tied into that somehow. Mm-hmm. But I more than anything suspect Sadius. I suspect that's a trap laid for Sadius. And my last prediction is that Sabariel's ledgers, within them, Contains some sort of secret code. Hmm. All right. Good predictions. Those are my predictions. Nice. Well, do you have anything else this evening? Uh, I don't have anything else, but I, I do think we should probably tell people where we spent our day. Absolutely. We went to uh, Farpoint Con. We did. It was pretty exciting. So, yes, Elizabeth was on a Game of Thrones panel. Uh, with a uh, Mr. Patrick Spinagle and uh, Lisa Spinagle and John. I, I didn't catch John's last name. But yeah, rollicking good time all around. All around. Had a had a, a good time walking around and seeing the folks there. Took one of our children there as well, which was interesting. That was hilarious. She dressed as some obscure to us anime character. And Chad took great delight in calling her Sailor Moon all day, which just ticked her off yeah which it was fantastic which meant that i just had to double down and <laughs> keep saying it over and over and over again you know but we had a good time got to meet a, a couple of interesting people and the the panel i think was one of the it was the best attended panel that i saw while we were well, there it's a, it's a great topic everyone loves talking about how horrible dorn is right <laughs> and i think the duchess did us proud I think she did a great job Thank on you. the panel. So, Thank you. So, yeah, that's all that I have. Next uh, episode, chapter, excuse me, episode 87 will be chapters 49 through 53. Yes. It will be words of radiance, and then we'll talk about our, the rest of our schedule. And we, we have later. plans in motion for the 100th episode. We're not ready to reveal them yet. Not quite yet. But get ready for something pretty exciting. Sam, pack a bag. Get ready to do some traveling. Come on down. You're all coming to Baltimore. It's on, people. You can find us on the thedukeandduchesspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Also look for our Facebook group page, and that is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the DND group. You can also find us on Instagram, Goodreads. You can find us on Reddit, all those different social media formats. 
And we look forward to hanging out with you guys and and sharing a good time. That's really what we love most about this podcast. So come and hang out with us and interact with us. I would say if you're a listener who has enjoyed the podcast, but you haven't interacted with us on social media, you're missing half of the fun of the podcast. So come hang out with us. Anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Wow. You look frustrated. Ah, I can't get anything done with these kitchen knives. The blades are just too dull. Well, maybe it's time we tried one of those new shard blades. Shard blades! Whoa! I hear these shard blades. Shard blade! That's annoying. But I hear they are super sharp. You can cut through the spine of your enemy, and the blade will still be sharp enough to cut through a very ripe tomato. Oh, yeah? Where do you get one of these shard blades? Shard blades! Oh, sorry. Forgot about that. It's kind of creepy. I hear you can only get one by killing the previous owner. Sounds reasonable. Tom got one recently, and you know I've always hated him. Well, his wife and kids are on vacation next week. Sounds like we'll get to try one of these shard blades. Shard blades! That's so annoying. TNT Enterprises take no responsibility for your actions in pursuing a shard blade. Check the laws in your local jurisdiction before killing your neighbors. We're not responsible for structure damage caused by using a shard blade. Please allow five days to complete bonding. Don't ask us how it works, we don't know.